One of the most significant things about this whole entire passage you just heard from Jesus is actually his first word here. His first word that you can see there, and that is that connecting word, therefore. Therefore. And that is often overlooked when this passage is read or taught because we often just want to jump into the details about anxiety and God's provision. And, and we will talk a lot about that this morning, of course, and it is beautiful. But before we get into that, we need to see how Jesus gets here. We need to see his connection, what his connection is from what he previously taught us last week. Because remember, last week we heard Jesus teaching us and really reasoning with us about money. About money. And in brief, he taught us last week that we should store up heavenly treasure rather than fixating so much on earthly treasures. And he reasoned with us that what we treasure does really affect our hearts and who we deeply are. And then finally and climactically, if you remember, last week Jesus just ended with his bold words in verse 24 about how we cannot serve two masters. And quote, he concluded with, you cannot serve God and money. All right, so that was last week, and that means the point of this word, therefore, is that it's all of that then. It's, it's Jesus' teaching on money like that so far, which actually leads him then to say this in verse 25. Look at your Bibles, verse 25 again. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing. And, and so again, that therefore is a really interesting connection by Jesus. Because think about it. In other words, what Jesus is doing here is he's just told us very lovingly but also firmly about the dangers of serving money. And about how we as followers of Jesus, again, we cannot serve God and money. It is not possible. And so that is what Jesus has just said, and yet the truth is, let, let's all in here be honest. All that intensity about not serving money may make us feel, well then, that sounds nice and spiritual, Jesus, but I do kind of need some money. I do need to survive. I do need food and clothing. And that's true. And just so you know, it's right for us to feel that way. Because as Christians, we are still creatures living here on God's earth with certain needs. And so we do. I need sustenance and money and provision. And we might get anxious if we start to feel that, oh no, I cannot serve money to provide that for myself. But that's why I think Jesus includes this whole passage that we're covering this morning. Because in essence, last week's passage is so clear. We cannot serve money as followers of Jesus. But still, we do need a certain level of money and provision in this world. And so what does Jesus say? Well, he connects them brilliantly, saying, you cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I say to you, do not be anxious. And why? How can he say that? Well, in short, it's because, yes, church, we cannot serve God and money. But the amazing thing is, and here's the point of the connection, when we do serve God instead of money, when we have embraced Jesus in the gospel and he defines us more than money and stuff, God himself will also provide whatever money and stuff we need. That's Jesus' point. Therefore, do not be anxious. And, and quickly, I do think that that connection there is actually quite important for us to understand even as we begin, because if you were here last week, 
And you heard, again, Jesus teach us that money won't last and how it affects our hearts and how we cannot serve God in money. And yet, you then kind of thought that Christianity or Jesus was just totally anti-money or that he taught us that we as his followers just have to act like we don't need anything because we're just so super spiritual or something. Then you need to see that's actually not true. Rather, we as Christians are people who willingly, freely, happily do not live for and serve money. Instead, we live for and serve God. But also, it is in that context that Jesus lovingly says to us, If you serve God rather than money, do not be anxious. Because even though you are not serving money, the God that you do serve will provide for you. And so that's this word, therefore, and that's really the overview of what Jesus is going to say to us this morning. But that now brings us to our outline for how we'll go through everything Jesus says to us as we finish chapter 6 here. And so there is a lot in here in this passage, but in order to cover it all, going verse by verse, I think the best way to break this passage down is to begin by noticing that if you look at your Bibles, you can actually see that Jesus, three times in this passage, he repeats his words, therefore do not be anxious. He says it in verse 25, and then he says it again in verse 31, and then again in verse 34. And that matters concerning our outline, because seeing that, those three breaks then will be our three sections together this morning, our three sections. And as for what we'll see in them, first, we'll start with that biggest chunk in verses 25 through 30. And there we're going to see Jesus' main examples and arguments which prove that we shouldn't be anxious and that our Father will provide for us. Which then second will lead us to verses 31 through 33, where we'll see Jesus talk about how our view of money and God's provision is different than the way of the world. Which then third and finally will bring us to Jesus' concluding verse 34 here, where he gives us a very practical daily application from all of this. So if you're following in summary, three sections. First, Jesus' main examples and arguments. Second, why this makes us different than the world. And third, a final daily application for all of us. But all that said, let's then dive in and begin our first section together here at church. And here again, we're going to see Jesus' main examples and arguments which prove that we don't need to be anxious and that our Father provides. And for this, we're in 25 through 30, which is the bulk of this passage. And to start, though, we already covered verse 25 a bit, but I want to actually just look at it briefly again, since this is really the topic sentence of this whole passage. Down in your Bibles as we begin, verse 25 again, Jesus starts like this. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So as we've been saying here and a, and a few times again in this passage, Jesus is going to command us, do not be anxious. And so he's going to talk about a lot, of, a lot about anxiety and worry. And that said, from the start, the question a lot of us probably have on this topic is, but what does Jesus mean by do not be anxious or don't worry? And that's an important question because concerning this topic, as we begin, we may particularly wonder about two important things specifically. Two important things specifically. First, and most commonly asked on this topic, I think, is the question, does Jesus, by saying do not be anxious here, mean that all anxiety is a sin? And concerning that, there's a lot that could be said, but I think to boil it down, the best answer is to simply note here 
that Jesus technically doesn't talk about anxiety in general being a sin here. Instead, technically, Jesus here is talking about worrying or being anxious about needs like food and clothing. And it's in that context, he absolutely does call us to not be anxious. Meaning us as followers of Jesus, we are not to be anxious concerning our needs in life. And it's important for us to note that, specifically, that that's what Jesus is talking about because I do think often people take this very passage and then then jump to the idea that really caring about something so much that we feel a burden or having a weighty heart feeling of what we might call worry or anxiety, people assume that because of what Jesus is saying here that that's always a sin. But technically, that's just, that's just not biblical. Because, for example, we know that Jesus himself, like in the Garden of Gethsemane before his cross, was very bothered and internally agonized over his coming death. And, even more specifically, we know that the Apostle Paul talks about his, quote, anxiety for all the churches in 2 Corinthians 11, and he didn't seem to say that that anxiety was a sin per se. And so, yes, we are not to be people anxious over food and clothing and such because God really will provide for us. That is what Jesus is commanding us here this morning. But we should be careful to take this passage and label everything that we might call a burden or even an anxiety a sin. So that's just the first thing to understand about what Jesus means here by do not be anxious. But then second on what Jesus means here in a totally different vein... We also might hear Jesus say, do not be anxious about food and clothing, and sort of wonder, and Jesus, if I'm not supposed to be anxious about my life, about food and clothing, then what does that mean concerning things like my work, or my planning, or being diligent? Is it more spiritual to not care about those things at all and just trust God? And the answer to that question is definitely no. Because, for example, we have elsewhere in the Bible, like in the book of Proverbs, which Jesus himself loved and upheld, God's word is clear, and so is Jesus in the rest of the New Testament, that we still are to be wise and not lazy and diligent and work hard for the Lord and plan and more. And so all of that said, Jesus' do not be anxious here doesn't mean that everything you and I would call anxiety is a sin per se, nor does it mean that since God provides, we should start to disregard other things God has said about the need to work or be diligent or wise. Instead, what does Jesus mean here by do not be anxious? Well, again, clearly in context, he's talking about not being people so fixated on our needs and money and how much you and I have or will we'll get it from that we worry so much about it. Right? He's talking about not thinking that your needs all fall on you in such a way where you don't ultimately think about or trust your Heavenly Father. He's talking about a certain fretting over your security and money and provision. That's the anxiety that Jesus is talking about here and do not be anxious. And now, why does and how can Jesus command against such anxiety like that? What arguments and examples does he have to prove that you and I do not need to be anxious and that God will provide? Well, for that now, finally, we'll move on to the bulk of this section in verses 25 through 30. And so moving on here, what we'll see now is Jesus give us a total of four arguments and examples which help prove his point. 
that we shouldn't be anxious and that our Father will provide. And so now let's just follow Jesus line by line and see these four arguments and examples. And number one, his first argument actually is at the end of verse 25. At the end of verse 25, Jesus says this, look, he says, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And so that's a rhetorical question. The question is simple, but it is something we all need to hear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Clothing meaning, sure, we may get so anxious and think so much about those sort of things, but don't you realize that your life created in God's image is so much more than that? That other things matter so much more. And so that's Jesus' first and most basic argument, which leads him to continue on, where he'll now point us to an example that he, he thinks proves his point. An example. And for this, now let's look at verse 26. Verse 26. Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So here Jesus appeals to something in nature. In nature. And just stopping for a second, I hope you realize that itself is quite profound. Because first, remember, God created nature in reality and according to the biblical view. But not only that, but God is the one who sustains nature in reality and according to the biblical view. He is the one who is ultimately keeping all of this going. And we need to know that because think about it. We could assume that this verse here from Jesus about these birds is just some nice metaphor. And I do think people often read him like that, that this is a mere illustration. But it's actually way more than that. Because notice, from Jesus himself, he's clear. It's not just that the birds getting their food is a mere illustration of something else, like God providing for you and me. No, it's actually that concerning the birds, quote, your heavenly Father feeds them. Do you see that? Who ultimately feeds, present active verb in the original language, who actually feeds the birds according to Jesus? Well, he says, it is the same God who is your heavenly father. He is feeding the birds. In other words, in reality, God is that massive. He really is. Again, he created all of this. He is the one who is sustaining all of this. And now the truth is, because God does all of that in consistent ways, we talk about things like the natural order, where birds usually find their food in certain ways, or we talk about things now like natural laws, because God has certain elements always work in consistent ways. But all of that is just us explaining what we observe. But even in all of that, in reality, is God. The same God who created all of this and who is sovereignly sustaining all of this. And quickly on that, if you are here and you find that hard to believe, then honestly, it's probably just that your view of God is way, way too small. Because I want you to know God, Father, Son, Spirit in the Bible is that big and He's that involved. He created this universe. He's the one who beholds this universe. And Jesus says He's the one feeding each bird. And knowing all that, Jesus then is also able to powerfully say to you and to me, God feeds them right now. And quote, are you not of more value than they? 
And that's also a biblical view. God created everything. He sustains everything. He loves everything he created. And yet, we as human beings alone are uniquely made in his image. And especially we as Christians who are redeemed and adopted into his very family. We are so much more valuable than the birds. And all that being true, Jesus' powerful argument number two here is the living God in reality is feeding the birds right now. And you're way more loved and valuable than them. And therefore, brother or sister, in reality, your father will feed you. He will provide. You don't need to be anxious. Which leads us now to continue on to verse 27 for Jesus' third argument. And now this is another quick rhetorical question. Jesus asks, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And so that one now may sound the strangest to us, but this is just Jesus bringing another obvious question into it, but this time about the length of your life. Because in brief, the original word that Jesus uses here is the measurement of a cubit. A cubit, which back then was the measurement of the elbow to the top of the hand, so about 18 inches. And Jesus' point is that by being anxious, who can even add 18 inches to their span of life? Meaning, if your life is about going on for 70-ish years on a timeline, you can't even add a cubit to it by being anxious. Which means, really, Jesus' argument here is, what is the point of being anxious. <laughs> it doesn't add anything to your life. And so that's Jesus' third argument, which finally leads us to Jesus' fourth and last argument here. And this is just another example from him. And this is in all of verses 28 through 30. And so now look there to finish this section. Jesus says this. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And so notice this example is most specifically about how the lilies and the grass aren't just provided for, but it's actually about how they're clothed or adorned, or so taken care of and exactly what they need. And not only that, but, I, but really, I think Jesus' argument here about the lilies and the grass, we can see it from what he's talking about in their intricate beauty, if you will. Their intricate beauty. And I say that because, notice, he compares how Solomon, in all his glory, wasn't arrayed or clothed like the lilies. And what, what does that mean? Well, think about it. This is interesting. Solomon, in the Old Testament, he had a bunch of stuff. He was the one in the Old Testament who had all the worldly riches and experiences he wanted. And so we know that Jesus doesn't mean that the lilies, nor that we, will have more stuff or riches than Solomon. And that's important because therefore when Jesus talks about God providing in this passage, it does not mean, church, that we will have all the earthly joys or experiences that we think that we'd want. Instead, what does Jesus mean? Well, just consider the lilies in nature. Or consider the uncut grass of a beautiful meadow. How were they arrayed or clothed? 
Well, basically, they're provided all that they need and are clothed in such a way where they are able to naturally and beautifully and intricately flourish. Right? They grow up wildly and produce this God-given, God-sustained natural beauty. And really the point is, and yet Jesus says even they are not the same as us. Because as for the lilies, they, ne- they neither toil nor spin while you and I do work. And as for the grass, they're often here one day and then they are thrown into a fire in an oven for fuel. And yet God still clothes and provides and makes them beautiful. And so Jesus' argument to you and me therefore here is, and therefore how much more? Can you be sure that God will so intricately provide for you? All that said, I know it's a lot, but that is Jesus gives four arguments and examples for why we really don't need to be anxious and why our Father provides for us. Number one, life is more than food and clothing. Number two, God literally feeds the birds right now. We're no more valuable than them, and so he will feed us. Number three, anxiety is worthless anyways. And number four, God so clothes and beautifies the lilies and the grass, which don't work and don't last while we do, and therefore surely... He will clothe us and make us beautiful in how he sees fit. And taking all of that together, concerning how you and I should respond to all that, we actually see it here in this passage by really considering those last words of Jesus that we haven't talked about yet. Look at the end of verse 30. Jesus says this, O you of little faith. O you of little faith. And so think about it, that, that then is Jesus' application for us. He doesn't want us to just hear him say all of this, but his goal for us is to have more faith in all of this. Faith in such a way where that leads us to not feel anxious about these issues. You see that? That's clearly Jesus' goal. And, and thinking about that even a little more deeply, this passage here then is a great example of how faith in the Bible and from Jesus is not some blind leap in the dark. It really isn't. Instead, think about it. If that were true, Jesus could have just said for this whole section, one verse, do not be anxious, but believe. And if he did, if he did that would seem like faith maybe is kind of just some leap in the dark. But that's not what Jesus does here. Instead, he's clear. We should not be anxious, yes. But then he goes on and on and gives us a bunch of reasons and arguments and examples concerning why it actually makes the most sense to not be anxious. And therefore, all that said, what then is this faith that Jesus wants us to have more of if we're little of it? Well, simply said, it's something that literally, church, goes on in our minds and in our hearts. Where we think, okay, so all of this is true about me as a follower of you, Jesus. All of this is true of me as someone who serves God rather than money. All of this is true about my Heavenly Father right now. And therefore, my faith is just knowing all this and actually trusting God because of all this. And that's faith. Faith is having all of these truths about God and His real provision impact your and my hearts and our lives and our anxieties. Which means, again, for you and me, just to make it crystal clear, Jesus' goal in this section is for us to trust God more because of everything He said. 
He wants us to know, church, this is our God. He wants us to know we are so valuable to God. And finally, he wants us to know that with whatever anxieties we might have concerning our needs, we really can trust this God of ours and therefore not be anxious. And so that's our first section in the bulk, really, of this passage. And in a way, Jesus could have ended there. But he doesn't, and he gives us a couple more sections to further prove his point, with the next now being in verses 31 through 33. And now here, essentially what Jesus is going to do, he's going to take everything he's been talking about, and he's going to compare it to the way of the world. And we know that because a word he's going to use here is a word, the word Gentiles. Gentiles. And remember, that word actually in the original language is just their word for nations. But we translated Gentiles because that's the way the Jews talked about the nations that do not know God. And so Jesus here is showing how us as his followers, how this way of ours where we trust God and don't get anxious, how it's different from the way of the world. And for this, we'll start with just reading verses 31 and 32. So look down your Bibles. Jesus continues on like this, 31 and 32. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Right, and so in verse 31, Jesus almost repeats and summarizes his point that we're not to be anxious concerning what we eat, drink, or wear. But then, in verse 32, he, knows he adds another reason to all of this. And we see that because verse 32 actually starts with the word for or because. And, and so Jesus is reasoning with us, do not be anxious because for the Gentiles, the nations, they seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And hearing that, you can see what he's getting. As for the nations, concerning their basic necessities, they, they do seek these things. They do have to chase after them in a certain way and, and kind of put it on themselves because they do not know God as their heavenly father. But as for you and me, truly, our heavenly father knows what we need. Right? And he really does. Which, moving on in this section, leads us in contrast to the nations to spend our time and energy mainly on something else. And for that, now look at verse 33. Jesus continues, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So remember, the Gentiles seek after their basic necessities. Or really, to use the language from last week, they often do serve money. Maybe because they love money, or maybe because they simply feel that they have to serve money in order to sustain their lives. But, but what about us, who have been genuinely saved by trusting Jesus and the gospel, and therefore who know God and his love and trust him? Well, Jesus tells us we're to, quote, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Which implies, really, if you're thinking about it, that since we do not need to spend our lives seeking money, we get to come alongside God and serve Him and His kingdom and His righteousness instead. Right? And in terms of what that means, both of those terms, His kingdom, the kingdom of God, and His righteousness are sort of unspecified and, and general, and I think intentionally so. Because seeking the kingdom of God is just generally about talking about you and I making our life about Jesus the King and his gospel news and loving him and living for him while seeking his righteousness is a little more specific, talking about us striving to live right and good and beautiful like Jesus. 
And so we're not to make our lives primarily about seeking after our basic necessities. Instead, we are to seek first after these more general and beautiful and important realities, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Which finally here leads Jesus to end with, and all these things will be added to you. And that's significant that he says that. Because again, you and I could hear all this and then say to Jesus, but Jesus, if I seek first, first God's kingdom and his righteousness again, I still do need basic necessities. But that's why Jesus' point is we don't seek them first or like the nations, but they will be added to us. And really, that's a promise right there from Jesus. As we're different from the world and primarily seeking Jesus and his kingdom, our Father will promise, add to us, on top of our lives, whatever he sees we need. And so all that said, that's actually just our second section concerning trusting in God's providential care and how that's different than the way of the world. And really quickly, just making sure we apply that, that does mean for all of us, brothers and sisters, that we must, as followers of Jesus, make our lives first about seeking, not money or provision, but God and his kingdom and his righteousness. Meaning generally, church, God and Jesus and his gospel are to be what define the seeking of our lives. Which honestly is something each one of us could probably think about more. And it could be something we make sure we apply to how we live. And especially, right, to what we prioritize. So that's our second section. Which finally for this morning leads us to our third and last. And this is Jesus' concluding verse. And, and this verse, if you're following along in the ESV, is its own paragraph. That's just added. That's just what they think is best. And I do think that's helpful. Because here it's almost as if Jesus wants to add one more application. And out of everything we've talked about this morning, I do think that what we're about to read is perhaps the easiest to practically just try to do in our daily lives. And so let's look at it. So that's most of this passage which leads Jesus to tell us to not be anxious one more time. And he says this, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. (laughs) So so I personally love this verse, because think about it this way. So so everything, everything that we've been talking about this morning, we kind of know is the correct biblical answer to our anxieties, right? I don't need to be anxious because God provides. And it is true. These truths here are beautiful. And the application to seek first God's kingdom and righteousness makes sense. But also still the reality is, at least for me, that this, this is hard to put into practice day in and day out. Right? It really is because my and I'm sure your emotions are all over the place. Right? And there's so many things that go on in our lives. Plus, there's so many things that we think about, and we know there's so many things that could happen in the future. And so all that said, the idea of being like the birds and knowing God provides is good and helpful, and yet in our actual lives, it can be tough. And so the question is, how can you and I really start to apply this? And that's where what Jesus says here in verse 34 is so helpful because Jesus is clear. A concrete way to apply all of this about trusting God and not being anxious is to zoom in and simply apply this to what you're going through today. (laughs) 
that simple here. Focus on today. Because as for tomorrow, tomorrow will have its own worries. It'll have its own things that come. And God knows them, but you can't know them and you can't experience them now anyways. And so we do not focus on tomorrow because sufficient for the day is its own trouble, which implies in this passage concerning trusting God, focus on today. Today has enough potential anxieties that you should trust God with. That's Jesus' point. And really, I think that's just so practical. And that's why I've started to love this verse more and more because, brothers and sisters, we all know life is hard and complex and there's so many issues every single one of us in this room deals with. And yet, guess what? Each and every one of us in our complex lives, we live day by day. Day by day. We have to. And now, yes, again, this doesn't mean that there's not things like planning for the future or being diligent or being wise or anything like that. But the truth is, church, we do not control our lives as much as we think. And we don't know what our futures will bring. Only the Lord does. And so how should we approach everything going on in our complex lives? Well, Jesus is saying, take it day by day. Today's troubles, they are enough. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And so we should simply aim to trust God today for whatever you have going on today. And again, I just want to repeat it. That is the practical takeaway from this verse. And that is something I bet each one of us could do more. Realize that your Father will feed you today like He's feeding the birds today. Know, know that He is for you in Christ today. That He'll give you whatever grace you need today. And of course, in it all, you should know that your Father will give you that tomorrow. He will provide whatever you need tomorrow. But for today, sufficient for today is its own troubles. Sufficient for today is troubles that we have and that we can take to our Father. And in doing so, our Father today will provide us what we need. And therefore, today we cannot be anxious. <laughs> and so that's our passage, church. That's three times Jesus telling us in love to not be anxious about our daily provision. And that's Him giving us encouragements and arguments and examples why. Which finally, now as we start to come to a close, just brings us to consider together one more thing for a few minutes this morning. One more thing. And this is something we did talk about briefly, but I think it'd be good for us to talk about just a little bit more. And for this, to now close a topic like this, I just want us to more generally think about, again, okay, so all this is true, but besides just the daily application to apply this today that we just heard, still, how might you and I actually do this more? How might we go out of here after the Sunday morning and really seek to fight anxiety and to trust God more and be less anxious? And to answer that, here's just the last thing I want to recommend this morning. And that's if you struggle with anxiety like we all do to a degree, like I do, then perhaps something we could all try to do is from this passage and from other places in the Bible is to fixate our minds more and more and our hearts on just simply what's true about God. To choose to use your mind to focus on what Jesus here and elsewhere says is true, and what's fact, and what's reality about God. And we already talked about this a little bit, but I want to end with this, and I want to say it that way because Jesus says, remember, that very technically, a lot of anxiety about God's provision is because we don't have faith. 
That's why he says, oh, you of little faith. And yet, let, let's be honest. What, what's often happened with that in Christianity, and sometimes maybe particular and particularly in evangelical and Bible-believing Christianity, is that people have seen that anxiety is technically often connected to a lack of faith, and they've then fixated on the idea and reality of faith when trying to address anxiety. Meaning, for example, whatever, what often happens is when someone we know or when we ourselves are struggling with anxiety, so many Christians think that the proper response is simply, don't be anxious, just have more faith. Or are you anxious? You just need to believe. And now follow me. While technically that is, can be correct, yet the question we have to ask over and over is, faith in what? What does that mean? What does Jesus actually prescribe for us? And that's where focusing again on what's true about God, on what's said to be fact and reality here and elsewhere in the Bible from Jesus comes in. Because just imagine this, imagine this. Imagine that you could see this heavenly father of yours that Jesus has been talking about in this passage. Imagine, I know this is crazy, but imagine you could somehow see him standing right next to you in your life. And imagine that he's been visually with you for some time and you've seen him do many amazing things and you knew that he could give you whatever you needed, that he could provide for you whenever and that of course he could protect you and more. Well, what would happen in that situation? Well, you'd naturally trust him. You'd have less anxiety. And why? Well, because he's right there, in fact, in truth. You would have seen his abilities. You would have known personally his care for you and more. In other words, your faith in him would be based on what you know is obviously true. It's based on what you know is evident in reality, in fact. And so think about it. In such a situation, faith would never be this irrational leap. Nor, importantly, would your answer to any anxiety that you had be to focus on this word and idea of faith. Instead, your focus in such a situation would so clearly be on God. Right, right there with you. And so we understand that in that situation that it's more about God. And yet, brothers and sisters, the truth is that is the situation we are in. Simply accept we cannot see our Heavenly Father. That's really it. And that's why if you're tracking, it's why when we're anxious, we honestly do need to focus less on the word and idea of faith itself. And we need to focus so much more on God and what's true about him. And, and to prove this, just think about it. That is what Jesus himself does here in this passage, isn't it? It's interesting because notice, Jesus, of course, does bring up faith at the end of verse 30 with his OU of little faith. But besides that, did you notice that the Son of God, to help us with our anxiety, what does Jesus by far primarily do in this passage? He focuses on God. He explains to us who our fatherly, our heavenly father is. He reveals to us truths and facts and realities about God going on right now. And, and so it should be for us. 
When we're anxious or when someone else we know is worrying or stressed, the response is to focus on the reality of our Heavenly Father, on God, on Him being so for you in Jesus Christ right now. And yes, that means we have faith in God, absolutely. But to increase our faith, we do not focus on faith. Rather, we, by the Spirit's enablement, focus on God. And so, and so for all of us, as we, know, as we now close a topic like this, a passage like this, let's just make sure that we do that more. Let's not hear Jesus' words here and just nod our heads and say we have faith. Instead, let's focus on these realities about who our God is, who Jesus says he is right now, and let's apply them personally to whatever we're going through. Because one last time, church, the truth is God is real. And the truth is that you and I are securely loved and saved in him in the gospel of trusting in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection now and forever. And the truth is that our God is the one feeding the birds and we're even more valuable than them. And the truth is our Father loves us and adds onto our lives whatever he sees we need. And therefore, knowing all of that, really, our goal is to live day by day trusting him in all. Trusting that our God does provide whatever we need and doing that then, right, more and more is what will enable us as Jesus' followers to more consistently obey our Savior's kind command. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.